to turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 13. Revelation, chapter 13. Last week, of course, was Easter, and so we kind of did a little Easter thing. But now, this morning, we're back to our study of the book of, of Revelation. Now, for you folks who have been here every single week, bless your hearts, we've been 86 weeks now in the study of the book of Revelation. And hopefully, you can tell some folks just a little bit about what this book is about. And one of the things that uh, we were taught, even as children, is that repetition is the key to learning. And so every week, we do have a chance because we have so many folks who are guests with us each week. We try to bring them up to speed with where we are in this book, and it provides an occasion for you folks who haven't been here to, to just get this whole book straightened out. Hopefully you could say this as good as I can, but as just a, a brief reminder, we come to the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, and what God does for us is he breaks down the history of the church into seven distinct stages, the last of which is a letter that was written to a, the church of Laodicea, it is the time period that we are presently living in at this very moment. As soon as that letter is concluded in chapter 4 and verse 1, something very, very significant happens. In fact, it is a description of what God said is going to happen to every single person on this planet who knows him as their personal Savior. And what happens in John, or Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is that John, who is a picture of the church, is caught up off of this planet heaven opens there's a trumpet there's a, a, a shout and he moves in to heaven he's a picture of the raptured church it's a perfect description of what god said is going to happen for all of us who know him in first thessalonians chapter four then in chapter four and five it's all about what's going on as the church has been raptured and we see the church in heaven in chapters four and five but then when we begin chapter six we begin the longest section of the book now in those first three chapters we covered a period of almost two thousand years of history in the major portion of the book of revelation chapters six through nineteen it is simply covering a seven year period that the bible describes as a time of tribulation on this planet now, a lot of folks get themselves really confused in the book of Revelation. And I'll grant you, this is not the easiest book in the Bible to figure out, but what God told us is if we'll study, what he will do for us is he'll show us the divisions that he makes in his book. And what we find is he is very carefully delineated for us the divisions in this book. And so we're able to see that in chapter 6 through 19, as we're coming through the tribulation period, it is not a chronology. It's not that in chapter 6 it's the beginning of the tribulation and we're just working our way through in a chronological fashion to the end of the thing. What he does in the midst of those chapters is he brings us four times through the tribulation. And it, listen, once you get that established, this book really is not that, that difficult. But he brings us through four times through the tribulation period from four different perspectives. And we constantly are making the analogy that we have the, the same exact thing in the Gospels. The, Jesus Christ came to this planet the first time, and he lived his life, and what the Word of God provides for us are four different perspectives of his first coming in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He brings us in the book of Revelation four times through the tribulation period, which of course culminates with his 
second coming. And so what he's done to give consistency to the word of God, he brought you four times through the first coming of Christ. And in, in chapter 6 through 19, he brings you four times through the tribulation, which culminates in the second coming of Christ. And each time that he brings us through this tribulation period, he does it through a series of how many things, y'all? Seven things. The first time that he brings us through, and this began in chapter 6, in fact, it covers all of chapter 6, is through the opening of seven seals. The opening of seven seals, the second time he brought us through, is through the, seven, the sounding of seven trumpets. The sounding of seven trumpets. And then the third time was through the revealing of seven personages. The revealing of seven personages. And that's, that's where we are right now. We're in the midst of that. We have already come through five of the seven personages we saw, first of all, in chapter 12, the first personage was the woman. And now y'all talk to me, okay? The, the woman is who? Israel. And then next we saw the child. And the child is who? It's Christ. And don't, don't flake out on me now. The, the third personage was the dragon. And the dragon is Satan. The fourth personage was the archangel. And the archangel is of you, y'all. Who is it? Michael. Man, y'all are scaring me today. And then fifth, we saw the first beast in chapter 13, verses 1 through 10, and that, of course, is the... Hello? The Antichrist. And then the sixth beast, and this is what we're going to begin with this morning, the second beast, the second beast in verses 11 through 18 of revelation 13 and then of course the seventh personage is still yet to come now if you're going to understand this second beast that we're going to be looking at this morning you've obviously got to understand the first beast okay now let me just say for you folks who are guests with us but we spent 10 solid weeks covering this this first beast and so this morning we're not going to belabor the point. I, I do want to just dial some of you folks who are guests in and give a reminder to all of you folks who are not quite so guesty uh, with us. But the first beast, of course, is, is none other than the Antichrist. Okay? Now, for you folks who haven't been here in the last 10 weeks, when you begin to hear me give you the scoop on who this guy is and what this guy is, I, I can already tell you before I even begin into, get into the explanation of this thing, that you're going to want me to cross-reference this. You're going to want me to prove all of this biblically. Now, now listen, that's why we did this the last 10 weeks. This I'm, I'm, I'm going to say some things, and you're going to be going like, no way, that's too, too incredible. And, and we have spent the time already. You can most certainly get the tapes. But I, I do want you to understand, this is going to sound, if you've never heard it before, going to sound highly incredible. But this is an incredible book. But, but the way that the thing is going to come down is the rapture is, is going to take place. And we believe from every indication that we would have in the Word of God, we believe that the rapture is going to take place in the very, very near future. And when that event takes place, that's what I was describing before, when believers will instantaneously, the Bible says in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, I mean, before you can even bat your eye, millions of people are going to vanish off of this planet. And when that takes place, it is going to leave this world just totally inside out and upside down in every way imaginable. There's going to be total 
chaos and total desperation. And then just at that time, according to what we saw back in Revelation chapter 6, there is one who comes on the scene, and he comes, the, the Bible describes as almost a, a knight in shining armor. The Antichrist arrives on the scene, and, and this guy is a smoothie, buddy. I mean, he's going to have answers, answers that the, the, the world at that point, folks, is desperately going to be clamoring for and, and seeking for. And, and the Bible teaches us, and we've seen this week after week in the last ten weeks, He's going to pull this world together governmentally, politically, economically, uh, spiritually. And for three and a half years on this planet, he is going to be the man. I mean, the people of this planet will think, what would we do without this guy? And then all of a sudden, after three and a half years, what Revelation 12 and 13 tell us is that somebody is going to come along and with a sword... They are going to assassinate him. And this is where this thing really begins to start getting incredible. Because what the Bible teaches in these two chapters is that while this thing is taking place on the earth and the Antichrist is getting whopped in the head with the sword, listen, with the acclaim that he will already to that point have, once that event happens, Every person on this planet is going to find themselves near some television because every network is going to carry this thing live. And once again, the world is going to be at a point of desperation. And the whole world will be watching, seeing this beloved Antichrist lying in a pool of blood dead somewhere on the, this planet. But you see, the Bible says that while the whole world is seeing that, there's something that's going to be going on that the world cannot see. There's something that's going to be taking place above the earth, and there's something that's going to be taking place at that very same time. I'm talking about the time as he's being assassinated. Something's going to be taking place above the earth, and something's going to be taking place beneath the earth. And again, nobody's going to see what's taking place there, but the Bible reveals it to us. But what's going to get happening above and what's happening beneath is all going to come together in the body, in the lifeless body of that Antichrist that's lying on the ground there. And according to what it says, and we're just going to have to, to hit this quickly, but what it says is while the Antichrist is being assassinated at that very same time, there is going to be a war that is going to take place in heaven between Michael the archangel and all of the angels that are under his jurisdiction, and they're going to battle in the second heavens with Satan and all of the, the demons or the angels that fell with him in his rebellion, and they're going to go at it. And what the Bible says is that Satan is going to get his night, lights knocked out, and he is going to be cast to the earth. And when he's cast to the earth, now this is where it gets incredible. Here is this cold, lifeless, dead body of the Antichrist on the ground. And when Michael knocks his lights out and Satan is cast to the earth, he takes up residence inside of the human body of that antichrist but it gets even more spectacular than that because while that's taking place above the earth the bible says in revelation chapter 11 and verse 7 that something's happening beneath the earth and that is judas the son of perdition the one who went to his own place the bible says that the bottomless pit is going to open and the spirit of judas is going to come up out of the bottomless pit and it too is going to move in at that very same time 
into the body of that Antichrist as it's laying on the ground, and check it out. The whole world will watch what they believe is the resurrection of the Christ, the Antichrist. I mean, they'll watch the wound healed with their very eyes, and at that moment, he will literally be Satan incarnate, and at the same time, Judas reincarnate, if you will. And what the Bible says that after that point, for the next three and a half years, it is going to be just absolutely horrendous on this planet. Check it out. At, at that point, the Antichrist is revealed for who he is. I mean, Satan is just providing a facial at this point. I mean, there's no holes barred. Back in chapter 12, and look at the middle of verse 12. It says, For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. He, he understands what time it is, folks. Now, most Christians on this planet don't. But let me just tell you, the enemy does know what time it is, and when he gets his lights knocked out, he's got it down to the very day. He's got it down to the month. He's got it down to the years. He knows his time is short, and he's ticked. He's just absolutely ticked. And verse 13 says that when he gets here, and he takes up residence in that body of that Antichrist, he is going to be absolutely bent on persecuting the woman... Verse 13, which brought forth the man-child. He is still hacked off that the nation of Israel was the one that brought forth the Lord Jesus Christ because he has an incredible hatred for him, and he, is so, he doesn't know who to get it out on because he knows he can't deal with Jesus. He can't even deal with Michael the archangel, much less Jesus. And so he says, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get that woman that brought forth that child. And he goes for the nation of Israel. And listen, when he does... He's going to make Hitler look like a Sunday school boy in comparison with what he is going to mete out upon the nation of Israel. I mean, he's going to be just totally out of control at this point, while at the same time, he will be very much in control. In verse 5 of chapter 13, drop down now, chapter 13, verse 5, it says that he'll have a mouth that'll speak all kinds of great things and blasphemies. And what it says is he's going to exercise that power for the next 42 months of the three and a half years that are going to remain in the tribulation period. Back in chapter 12, brings it to the very day, 1,260 days. And I mean, he knows every single day when he wakes up, it's just like we do on a calendar. He's just knocking the days off. And I mean, he eats and drinks and sleeps, persecuting the nation of Israel, blaspheming, saying all this stuff out of his mouth. Look at verse 6. He'll open his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, the dwelling place of God, and them that dwell in heaven. That's us. And verse 7, he'll make war with the saints. Now, that's not us at this point. These are the saints that are on the earth, and he'll overcome them. And check this out. And he'll have power over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Verse 8, and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And, and now listen, here's the world. And at that point, I mean, they've watched him rise from the dead, man. And you know how the world is, they love miracles. 
Christians love miracles. Listen, the greatest miracle that ever took place was when you called on the name of the Lord and he saved your sorry self. You don't need him to do all kinds of tricks like you see on TV today. That, the greatest miracle is the miracle of salvation that came about because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But buddy, when they watched that wound healed, little buddy, they just want to worship. And listen, the consequences of worshiping him, as we're going to see in the next several weeks, the consequences that God lays out in the rest of the book of Revelation for worshiping that beast, they are of such magnitude that you really can't fully uh, grab a hold of what God's doing in verse 9 here of chapter 13. But listen, the consequences are, are so incredible to this thing that God just stops right in the big fat middle of this thing and he says, listen, if any man have an ear, let him hear. In other words, oh, you better wise up, and you better, you better hear what's being said here. You better listen up. Now, now listen, when I say that, I'll, I'll grant you, I ain't Jack. You, you don't have to worry about me, and I know I've already ticked probably some of you guys off just through some of the things we've already said. All right. and, and that's cool. If I'm telling you, listen up, you know what? Who cares what I think? But listen, when the holy creator, God of the universe says, You better not just let this go in one ear and out the other. And buddy, you better listen to what he's saying here. And that's what God's trying to do there. He's trying to get your attention because some of you are going to watch this thing take place. And if you're not careful, you'll be worshiping. In fact, if you don't respond to what Christ is already doing, check this out in this service today. Chances are 99.999, in fact, 100%. You'll be worshiping. And so God says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. But then John comes to verse 11, and he reveals to us the sixth personage as he brings us through this tribulation period, now for the, the third time. And now he's going to show us, now, now that was all the first beast. That's all the Antichrist. And now we're going to see the, the second beast. And let's pick up reading in verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and caused that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. 
here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, or is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. Now, what's kind of interesting about the, the, the passage that we just read is that the way that it ends here in verse 18 with this, with this 666 thing, it's almost like people read through this passage, they get down to verse 18, they see this 666 thing, and it, they, they become so intrigued with that. That gets so much a, a attention that most people could not tell you anything about the ministry of this second beast. In fact, if I were to just ask you right now, tell me all that you know about this guy, you know what, before we read the passage, it would be, I mean, most of us would just be clueless about this thing, but if we were to talk about the 666, buddy, we got that thing down. But you see, this whole passage here is all about this second beast and the second beast connection to this thing of the 666. Now, I do have to grant you, this, this 666 thing is rather in, intriguing to me. I, I think it is to probably all of us, and, and I especially, I, it becomes especially intriguing as we get closer and closer to this thing getting ready to be put into to operation here. But have you noticed, have you noticed just some strange appearances of 666 lately? I mean, to me, it, it's, just, it, it, it's just wild. And I, I want to just give you some food for thought here uh, that will probably carry you through the week until we can get back here next week. But uh, I listed three of the things that that I think are incredibly intriguing about this, this whole 666 thing. First of all, the, the strange appearances of 666 culturally. Culturally. I mean, y'all, it's everywhere. I mean, it, it is literally everywhere you look. I mean, you're cruising down the road, and you come under the underpass, and, you know, teenagers or, or somebody, I don't know, it could be some of you adults, I don't know, have spray painted on the pile asters under there, 666. And I mean, it's on the walls, you know, the, the graffiti, you know, in big letters, 666. Uh, a lot of you rock and rollers from back in my day remember the album covers, and you, you know, you're looking on the, the back of those things, and man, there it is, 666. And then, you know, young people could take you to some of those, the CD covers now with the 666. I don't know if you've seen the, the, the Levi's commercial where hey, it just Levi's. They're just selling jeans, man. And it zooms in on the belt buckle. And if you'll check it out on the belt buckle, there it is. Six, six, six. There's a show that comes on Saturday morning. And I, I, I know that most of you probably don't watch this show. This show, I think, is designed for young teenagers. It's a show that's called Erie, Indiana. How many of you have seen that? Not even a whole lot of you kids. How many of you kids have seen Erie, Indiana? Y'all still in bed, aren't you? Here, here I am doing cartoons on Saturday morning thinking, yeah, I'm just relating to the young people, and they're still in bed. But there's a show that comes on Saturday morning. It's called Erie, Indiana. And as, as they come in at the beginning of the, this thing, it, it, what it does is it shows, just like you see here in New Philadelphia, it shows the, 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 the sign as you're coming into the town, Erie, Indiana. Population, one, six, six, six. One. Okay, of all the numbers to pick, you know, we're going to put that big 666 right there, squared off, right there on, on that big old sign. Uh, so, now, 
Now, y'all don't act pious now. How about the group five? You know the group five? <laughs> no, no, Pastor Mark, we don't know the group five. I'm cruising through the other day, and, and here, here's these, these boys on, on this thing, and they're doing the song, It's the Things You Do. Uh, you guys have seen this music video? They're, they're, they're going in these race cars. While the song's going on, they're in these race cars, and, of course, the group's name is Five, so there's a car number five out there. And, of course, this is the one that's going to win, but there's a car that just keeps vying with them for first, and the number of the car isn't six. The number of the car just happens to be 666. And, and, you know, I, I've never been able to get over the fact that in the work by John Toland, what, what it does is it shows a picture of, of Hitler. And, and Hitler, of course, was probably the last type or the last foreshadowing of the Antichrist before the real one gets here who's going to come on the nation of Israel, much like Hitler did. But what it shows in this book is it shows Hitler as a member of the Nazi party in Austria before he went to Munich. And you know what the, no, the number on the card is, his number in the Nazi party? Five, five, five. Interesting, isn't it, that the last type on this planet of Antichrist is five, five, five. The next one, I guarantee on to you, according to verse 18, it's going to be six, six, now, you know, you, you look at all that stuff, and, and you, know, you don't make doctrines out of any of that stuff. You just look at all that, and you go, you know what? Somebody somewhere has been reading the same book we've been reading. You know what I'm saying? And, and there's, there's some evil power somewhere that's orchestrating some kind of, of campaign to mock the significance of this thing or to get it to where it's just so much a part of our culture that it's already accepted before it even gets here. But something else that I think is, is just totally intriguing about this whole 666 thing is the strange appearances of 666 numerically. Now, now check this out. Most of us, I think, are at least somewhat familiar with, with Roman numerals. And, and you know that that whole system with the Roman numerals is, is built off of the, the use and repetition of just a, a, a few actual numbers. In fact, we wouldn't even recognize them really as numbers. We would recognize them more as as letters, right? Okay, and, and, and but, but like you got a, a Roman numeral one, and then you don't go to another, a whole new character when you go to number two, right? It's just the repetition of one, and when you get to three, you, you tracking with me on that? Okay, cool. Okay, but what's kind of wild is if you take the first six Roman numerals, the first six characters. Now, on the left side of your page, let's just, let's just start with them, okay? The first one, it looks like a, a what? I, and then we go to the V, and then the X. Whoa! Now we're now we're nervous. The next one is what? L. Then the next one is C. Well, yeah, y'all good. And then the next one. Nope. D. Okay. And then right right next to those numbers, you, you can put the equivalent. Of course, the I is one. The V is five. The X is ten. The L is 50, the C is 100, and the D is 500. Now, just from the bottom of your page, just, just do it in your head. Just count them up. 666. Okay, you, you take our English numbers, and, it, and it, this, this just kind of boggles my mind, that if you take the number 6, okay, now listen, you take the number 6 and square it, 
Okay, and if it's been a little while for you, since you caught the square of a number, it's the number times itself. Okay? Or 6 to the second power. Okay? So 6 square is how much, y'all? Okay, good class. And I know some of you folks are going, I, I never was good in math. Um, okay, now, but check this out. If we do with 36, what we just did... 36 in our English numbers, if we do with it what we just did with the Roman numerals, and we add all of the numbers together between 1 and 36, as in 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6, all the way to 6 square, or 36. Now, if you, I wish you all had calculators right now, and you could just add these numbers up. The total, sum total of 6 square, adding the, those numbers together, just take a wild stab what you get. 666. And again, I'm not building any doctrines on any of that. I'm just telling you. There's just something. And I think this is the stuff that just makes us lose what's really in this passage. Because it's just absolutely mind-boggling. It's intriguing when you just begin to see that this thing of a, a, a six is incredible. But what really makes it incredible, forget the culture, forget the numbers, and I mean, you could do all kinds of stuff. And man, I, I'm telling you, you could literally, we could spend all day and I could just blow you out with, you know, all, all of the, the numbers and how they come together and all that deal. But the, the one that just really will get you is the strange appearances of 666 biblically. This, this 666 thing shows up in some very interesting places in the Bible. Let, let me just show you a couple of these places to wet your whistle. Uh, turn back to the book of Ezra for just a second. <clears throat> the book of Ezra. Now, you know how it goes. You, you know, you come to a point in your Christian life where you want to get serious with God, and so you make this commitment in January that I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And lo and behold, you made it through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you know, all the tough stuff. And now you've made it to the book of Ezra, <coughs> and in chapter 1, <coughs> excuse me, it's, it's allergy season, yo. <clears throat> but you come to the book of Ezra, chapter 1, and man, I mean, you're cruising along in there, and you just see in chapter 1, this is an incredible chapter. There's some incredible things that are taking place, and what, what's taking place here? Now, now, just listen. What's taking place in Ezra, chapter 1, is God is stirring in the heart of a lost Gentile king, He's stirring in his heart to allow the Jews to come back into their land to rebuild the temple. I mean, it's just an incredible thing. Out of, I mean, almost out of nowhere, God stirs in the heart of this pagan king to do this thing. And at the same time that he stirs in his heart, what it says in chapter 1 is he was stirring in the hearts of his people to go back to, 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 go back to Jerusalem to rebuild that, that temple. And it's just a great chapter. So, you know, you're coming through there, you're, you know, doing the read through the Bible in a year thing, and so you're coming through here, and, oh, this is going to be really cool. You come to chapter 2, and after all of the excitement of chapter 1, now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away from Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and carried away unto Babylon, and came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, everyone unto his city, which came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Realiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvai, Rahum, Baana, and, and our, oh, we're getting worn down here. 
The number of the men of the people of Israel, the children of Perosh, 2,172, the children of Shephatiah, 372, and all of a sudden our eyes look down and we see this little pattern of all of this stuff and we're like, all right, I'm not going to have to spend as long tonight. I'm just going to, you know, kick in my Evelyn Wood speed reading course and go through this thing. And we want to read every word so we can tell people that we read the whole Bible, you know. So we're reading every word, but... And we're coming through this thing and... And we forget that every word is the Word of God, and every single one of them is chosen by God, placed specifically where He wanted them, at just the right place. And so, in the midst of... We, we miss verses like verse 13. Verse 13. Verse 13. Look at it. The children of... Adonikam, uh-oh, 660 and 6. And God told us back in Revelation chapter 13. Now listen, when you see that, you better get your eyes and your ears open and you better use some wisdom. And all of a sudden, we start looking just a little more carefully at this thing and we, we notice that this word Adonikam, we, we, that, that first part of it there, Adonai, Adonai, and we're like, you know what? I believe we sing some songs. We've got some choruses where we throw that word Adonai in there. I think that, that, that word, and we pull out our trusty concordance. We check it out. That means Lord. I wonder what Cam means. We check that thing out, and lo and behold, we find out it means rebellion. And we see here the Lord of rebellion, whose number is 666. Okay, now, now listen. And we put that into the context here. And what we find is that God is foreshadowing the events, listen, of this very century when God in 1918 stirred in the heart of a lost Gentile pagan king. God stirred in his heart to let the nation of the Jews come back into the land to rebuild their temple and while God was doing that in the heart of a pagan king in this century he began to put it in the hearts of the Jews to get back into that land as the last verse in their Hebrew Bible tells them to get back up to Jerusalem and we've been watching now this whole century the Jews going back into that land and what we find way back here in the Old Testament book of Ezra is that God was screaming out a message to us. You know what the message is? When you see those Jews, when you see those Jews going back to Jerusalem, watch out! Because among them is Adonikam, the Lord of Rebellion, whose number is 666. But I'm sure that's all coincidence. I'm sure it's just really more than co coincidence and it's really just an evidence of my incredible ability to make the Bible say what I want it to say and God didn't really have a clue about anything we just talked about it just happened to work out like that God says back there in Revelation you see that 666 you better start looking around you better watch out now you're right here at Ezra and just look back to the left 10 or 12 pages or so to in the book of 2nd Chronicles to Second Chronicles chapter 9. 
In the context here in, in 2 Chronicles uh, 9, it's all about the reign of, of, of Solomon. And look at what it says in, in verse 13. Now the weight of gold that came to Solomon in one year was 600 and three score and six talents of gold. Some of you are still looking for it. It's verse 13 where Solomon in one year was given 603 score and six talents of gold. And so based on what God said in, in Revelation chapter 13, you, you let that arrest your attention and you start looking around and you notice that Solomon is without a doubt one of the greatest types of Christ in the entire Bible. And at this point, or to this point, Solomon just absolutely, beautifully, typifies the Lord Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in wisdom and all of his power and glory in the temple in Jerusalem. But from this point on, the second half of his reign, check this out, Solomon becomes one of the greatest types of antichrist found in the entire Bible. And what you begin to see is that's exactly what the book of Revelation says. This is the way that it's going to come down with the antichrist. Check it out the first half of his reign on the earth, he's going to be so much like Christ, you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference if you were looking at him. But in the second half of his reign, he's going to be a seven-headed, ten-horned, fire-breathing dragon, a beast. And we won't take the time to turn to, to all of these. Let me just quickly and just jot some things down here. But in the book of Daniel, which, which dovetails perfectly in with the book of Revelation because Daniel was giving he was receiving the same prophecy about the same stuff that John was seeing in the book of Revelation and coincidentally enough the book of Daniel shows us the reign of a king of Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar he is the king of Babylon who captured Jerusalem and took Judah into captivity who just happens to be called, in Jeremiah 51 and verse 34, he just happens to be called a dragon. And in the flow of what you see taking place in the book of Daniel, he becomes a beast and eats grass as an ox for, guess how long? For seven years. I mean, you've you, you got to be just asleep to, to miss the significance of all of this. And in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, he erects an image of himself that everyone is required to worship or be killed. And have you ever noticed the dimensions? The dimensions of that image that he sets up of himself? It's 60 cubits high by 6 cubits by 6 cubits. 6, 6, Six. You're over there in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You're reading through verses 4 through 7. And here's the story about, about this superhuman guy. The superhuman guy by the name of Goliath. And, and you begin to notice about this, this guy that he's got this weird obsession with persecuting the nation of Israel. Sound familiar? The Antichrist. We just saw it this morning has this weird obsession with persecuting the nation of Israel. And we find in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 36, 
that this superhuman guy that's bent on persecuting the nation of Israel is likened to a lion and a bear, just like the Antichrist is in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 2. And then skipping ahead in, in the story, we find that the nation of Israel is delivered from this superhuman guy who's bent on persecuting them, who's likened to a lion and a bear. They just happen to be delivered by a guy by the name of David, who happens to be another perfect type of Christ in the Bible. And David just happens to defeat him down in a valley, and check it out, he defeats him with a sword. And if you know anything about the book of Revelation, you know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back to this planet. And in a valley, the valley of Megiddo, we call it Armageddon, he's going to deliver the nation of Israel out of the torments of the Antichrist. And Revelation 19.5 and 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8 says that when he comes back to do that, he's going to do it. And he's going to come against the Antichrist with a sword, the sharp sword that comes out of his mouth, the Word of God. But God just kind of puts the, or sets the, the, the picture off for us in 1 Samuel 17, verses 4 through 7, because it tells you that Goliath's spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and his height was six cubits, and he had six pieces of armor. Six Six, six. And again, I'm just telling you, God tells you, when you see that thing, you better, you better wake up. You, you better start paying attention. And what we find is God has strategically placed that number back here in the Old Testament to foreshadow and to picture for you what you need to be seen in Revelation chapter 13. Just in case you couldn't get it in black and white, God says, well, let me just paint a number of pictures for you so that you don't miss this thing. But now listen, there's so much more in Revelation 13 than just this, this 666 thing. And I, I've, I've tried this morning just to kind of stretch your imagination a little bit and, and wet your whistle a little bit with some of these things. But now listen, you're, you're never really going to understand the significance of all of that that we just talked about unless you understand what God said before you ever get to that part. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 13, and let's begin to see what God reveals to us here. Revelation chapter 13. And let's, let's begin this morning looking at the ministry of this, this beast that John sees in Revelation 13 and verse 11. And we find that, first of all, John gives us in, in, in verse 11 the description of his person. That's Roman numeral one. The description of his person. And, and notice first in verse 11, his identification. His identification. That's letter A. John helps us in, in verse 11 to identify this beast. He, he says, look, look at it now in verse 11, and I beheld another beast. Okay, and I, and I call this to your attention because there's a lot of people who, who think that, that what John is describing here in verses 11 through 18 is simply another dimension of the ministry of the first beast or the, the ministry of the Antichrist. But John is very clear to identify this beast in verse 11 as another beast. He, he's another separate beast. He's another distinct individual. And you'll notice in verse 12, and really all the way through the passage, he, he carries that contrast. Just look at verse 12 
and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him. That's the, the beast in verses 1 through 10, the Antichrist. And go on in verse 12. And causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And you can see that John is wanting to make sure that we understand that this is another beast, totally distinct from the first beast, and yet, as we'll see, connected to the first beast. So, this is another beast, or the second beast, and yet we'll, we'll find as we continue on in Revelation, we find that John not only identifies him as distinct from the first beast, but he specifically identifies him as the false prophet. Beast is the one that is known in the rest of Revelation as the false prophet. Look over in chapter 16, in verse 13, John says, chapter 16, verse 13, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the, here it is, false prophet. Turn over to chapter 19 and verse 20. 19, 20. And John says, And the beast was taken, that's the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, <clears throat> with which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone, and if you'll just drop down to chapter 20 and verse 10, you'll see him again. And the devil that deceived them that was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And so we find that, that John clearly identifies this beast as distinct from the first beast. This is another beast. This is the second beast specifically identified as the false prophet. Now, you, you hear that, and if you're a, a student of the Bible and you just would take the time to begin to meditate just a little bit, all of a sudden you begin to make this connection that the first part of chapter 13 is all about the false Christ. The second part of, of chapter 13 is all about the false prophet. And all of a sudden, your mind is jolted back to something that you remember reading in Matthew chapter 24. Let, let's go back there for just a second. We'll be back to Revelation 13, just a gif. But, but go back to Matthew 24. And of course, <clears throat> the, the context here in Matthew 24 is the disciples asking Jesus about the signs that would be in the world just prior to his second coming. And, and they just happen to ask that question as he takes his seat to begin to teach them. Listen, he takes his seat in the exact location that the book of Zechariah says is going to be the place where he will first step on this earth at his second coming. So here he is. He sits down right where he's coming back, and they go, Now listen, could you tell us some signs about what it's going to be like when you come the second time? And he's sitting in that very place. But drop down to verse 24. In that context, Jesus says, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And what you need to understand is that Revelation 13 
is the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy here. Listen, Revelation 13 reveals to us the false Christ and the false prophet. And, and the two of them in the, the second half of the tribulation period are going to put on such an incredible show of miraculous power. And they're going to look so much like the genuine item. Jesus says it's going to be even tough for that believing remnant in the wilderness not to be sucked in by this thing. If it were possible, even the very elect would be duped by them. So yeah, there's going to be false Christ and there's going to be false prophets as we're moving toward the time of the end. And they're alive right now, y'all. But they're going to find their ultimate fulfillment in Revelation 13 with the false Christ and the false prophet. Now, now go back to Revelation 13 and verse 11 as John continues to give us the description of this false prophet. And let me show you the next thing that John reveals to us here, and that is his origin. His origin. <clears throat> Whereas John said back in verse 1, that he, he stood upon the sand of the sea and, and saw this, this first beast rise up, watch it now, out of the sea. Drop down to verse 11. John says, and I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, or in other words, the, the land. And of course, we saw that the, the sea back in verse 1 was a reference to what? The Mediterranean. And as we saw as we compared Scripture with Scripture, we found that the first beast, the, the Antichrist, like the Mediterranean, is a composite nationality. He's a composite race, just like the, the Mediterranean Sea is bordered by Africa and Europe and Asia. We began to see, as we compare Scripture with Scripture, that's exactly what the Bible says is going to be true of the Antichrist. He'll be an African, he'll be a European, and he'll be an Asian. He'll be a composite nationality. He'll also be of composite race. He'll be a Jew. He'll be a Gentile. All of the above. And yet verse 11 seems to indicate that the false prophet will most likely be a Jew. The earth or the land, many times in Scripture, representing the land of Palestine. Now, I'm just telling you, I wouldn't die on that hill. I'm not going to, you know, make a point of that. I, I don't know because you can't go back to the the book of Daniel or other places that dovetail with the book of Revelation and pick up uh, uh, cross-references there about one that would come out of the earth, but that probably is going to be the case. He'll probably be a Jew. But listen, someday when you don't have anything to do, you might want to just, just go meditate on Job chapter 40 and 41. Okay, now, now check it out. Job chapter 40 is all about a beast who's connected to the earth. Behemoth, the very next chapter, Job chapter 41, is all about a beast that comes up out of the, the sea. Who, who is it? Leviathan. Okay, and, and I'm, I'm sure that there's some incredible stuff there, and to be quite honest about it, we don't have time to start digging into that whole deal right now, but like I said, when you don't have anything to do and all the, fold, the clothes have been folded and the yard's been edged. You can just sit down and figure out Behemoth and, and Leviathan, but I promise you there's some major connection there. But nonetheless, John says the, the second beast, the, the false prophet, he, said he, he saw him coming up out of the earth. And just food for thought, this first beast, remember we saw that he's going to be the, the spirit of Judas resurrected. It may be that what this verse is telling us is that this is also going to be a, a resurrected 
person, maybe Balaam, you might want to just consider that. Notice next in verse 11, his appearance. His appearance, this is letter C. John says, and he had two horns, listen to it now, like a lamb. Okay, so check this out. He has the appearance of a lamb. Now, in just a, a general sense, we understand that when we see a lamb, when, when you see a lamb, <clears throat> you get freaked out. No, nobody gets freaked out. I mean, you, you know, you, you come walking through some field somewhere and, you know, you crest the top of the hill and you start down on the other side and here's this lamb. It's, ah, you, you know, it, no. Nobody, nobody does that. When you, you just, oh, there's a lamb. Ah, you know, you start doing weird stuff like that, you know. I mean, it's a whole different deal than coming over the top of the hill and here's this Doberman pincher. Ah, you're freaked, man. I mean, you come over the, the, that, that hill and here is a seven-headed, ten-horned, fire-breathing dragon. You know what? You're freaked. But when it's a, when it's a lamb, a lamb is gentle. A lamb is harmless. A lamb is innocent. A lamb is meek. A lamb is lowly. And listen, when the false prophet comes on the scene, he's going to be just like that. And nobody's going to be afraid of him. Nobody's going to be freaked out. His demeanor is going to be such that he'll be gentle and meek. But I mean, you can't come this far in the book of Revelation and and see this connection of this guy to a lamb and not make the specific connection to the lamb of the book of Revelation. Who is that, y'all? The Lord Jesus Christ. You got it, man. I mean, to this point, just to this point in the book of Revelation, it, it, he's already been referred to 12 times as the Lamb. It, it's going to happen another 15 or 16 times after this. And, and what this is saying is that when the, the false prophet comes on the scene, he's going to carry himself and his demeanor will be like that of the Lord Jesus Christ when he ministered on this planet. And again, let, let me run you back to the Gospel of Matthew for a second to something that Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7. Of course, Matthew chapter 7, he's in the midst of of preaching the Sermon on the Mount. The first sermon that he ever preached, and I want you to look at what Jesus said in, in verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing <laughs> I'm getting ready to you you must know me <laughs> but inwardly they are ravening wolves and, and yet listen there have been false prophets in every generation who, who've masqueraded themselves under the guise of, of sheep's clothing but what we find is that all of Satan's false prophets are going to find their ultimate fulfillment in the false prophet and when he comes on the scene just like Jesus is warning here and reveals to us in Revelation 13 he will be like a a lamb he'll be a counterfeit Christ he will outwardly possess the qualities and have the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ that's why Jesus said and all listen to it 
That's why Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 24, Judge not according to the, what? Appearance. Jesus says, Hey! False prophets out there, buddy. And they're going to look really smooth. So don't judge according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. In other words, you, you better not let the appearance of these false prophets dupe you into listening to their voices. Because go back to Revelation 13 again and watch as John describes for us the voice of this false prophet. This is letter D. His voice. <clears throat> John says in verse 11, he, he had the appearance of a lamb, but look at the end of the verse. And he spake as a dragon. Okay, now check this out. He, he looks... He looks like Christ. He poses as a minister of Christ. He's a, a minister of righteousness, but his voice, his speech, he says, will be controlled by the devil. And you see, this, this too is just part of the, the, the whole counterfeit, because, because check this out. Not only is the Lord Jesus Christ referred to in Scripture as the Lamb of God, one of the th things that you begin to see in Scripture is that he's also referred to in Scripture as the Word of God. He's called that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. He's called that in Revelation 19, 13, along with other places. But now listen, he's, he's called that. He's called the Word of God because Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 says that in Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily so that when Christ spoke it was the voice of God speaking all he was was God with human flesh wrapped around him when he spoke it was the word of God God's words are what came out of him and what John is describing here in Revelation chapter 13 is one who will come whose appearance will be like the lamb of God but he will be a mouthpiece for the very devil himself. His words will be controlled by the devil. And if you haven't been here to, to, to know the, the dragon back there that he refers to here in verse 11, he speaks as a dragon. The dragon's defined very clearly for you back in chapter 12 and verse 9 as the devil or Satan. And buddy, listen. He's going to look incredible. His demeanor is going to be attractive. But buddy, when he opens his mouth, it's going to be slick. He's, he's going to speak, listen to it, as a dragon. He's going to speak as Satan. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, what it says there is that when the devil speaks, he speaks lies for he is a liar Jesus said and the father of lies and on that day y'all I mean listen the, the lie that he is going to be propagating this false prophet he's going to be propagating this lie to get all of the people who are still living on this planet to believe 
that the Antichrist is worthy of being worshipped and that they should take his mark. And the sad truth is, verse 12 lets us know that he is going to be unbelievably successful. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast. It's going to happen, man. He is going to pull it off. And it's, I'm, it's a sad reality. And I'll tell you what makes it even sadder is the fact that he is going to be successful in getting people who are in this very room this morning to do the very thing that we're studying in the Word of God together in this room. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, as I'm preparing for messages like this and we're going through all of this stuff and seeing what is going to take place and what I believe the Bible teaches is going to be the very near future. It just absolutely, sometimes, I mean, it just crawls all over me that there will be people that are sitting in this room who heard the same exact message everybody else heard. But like we were talking about earlier, don't have ears to hear and will not heed the warning that God is trying to show you here that you better worship the true Christ now as He's being revealed to you because if you don't, when this liar comes on the scene, he will dupe you into believing the lie of the Antichrist. And please, please, please don't think that you're going to be the exception to God's rule. Because you won't. You won't. He's going to be highly successful in, in the future. And, and, and I, just, I just want to take you to, to one other passage before we end, because I feel like we've come to this place and we need the warning because, listen, not only are you packing up or what are you doing? I, I'll tell you where to go in just a second. Not only is he going to be successful in the future, he is highly successful right now with the same exact plan that you've seen unfolded here in the false prophet, I want you to know, Satan is alive and well on this planet right now. And he is pulling off some incredible stuff in the name of Jesus. And I want to show you this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and, and you know what? We, we could literally... We could spend the whole afternoon here, and I'm just going to give this to you in just a real succinct fashion. Second Corinthians chapter 11. Now, some of you folks that have been here for the last five or six years or so, you're so familiar with this passage, you could, you could probably quote it from memory. And if you know it that well, pray for others. Because you know what? We've seen a lot of folks come to Christ in recent weeks and months and last couple of years around here. There's guests that are in this room that don't have a clue about what God was trying to let us know here in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So don't get antsy, okay? Even if you know this. But, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is incredibly burdened with a godly jealousy. He says in, in verse 2, he says, because he, he's afraid 
that, that having, these are believers now who have been espoused to one husband, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and his desire is that he would be able to present us as a chaste virgin to Christ, but he's afraid in verse 3 that by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, that, that the minds of people on this planet would be com- corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And, and I want you to see in verse 4, what he begins to do is he begins to talk about the same exact thing that's going on this planet today. In verse 4, Listen, what he's talking about is people who are preaching Jesus, people who are preaching the gospel, people who are talking about receiving the Spirit. But did you notice the word that came before every single one of those? Look at it in verse 4. Another Jesus, another Spirit, Another gospel. And listen, what Satan is doing is he has his ministers. And if you doubt this, these people that are are doing this, that are preaching this Jesus, that are talking about receiving this spirit, that are preaching this gospel, come down to verse 13 in the same chapter. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ and no marvel I mean this shouldn't come as any big surprise to us for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light he, he, he doesn't come to you with a pitchfork and you know all red and with horns going ah, I'm the devil listen to me no he transforms himself just like he's gonna do with his false prophet to look like Christ And he says, hey, this shouldn't be as a big surprise to us. We know that Satan does this. And now watch verse 15. Therefore, it is no great thing if his, what? His ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Are you checking this out? Right now on this planet, just like Satan's going to have with the false prophet in the tribulation period right now on this planet. Satan has ministers. And they don't have pitchforks. And you know what? Unlike the guy you heard today, their nostrils don't flare. Their eyebrows don't come down. They don't raise their voice. They're seeking to be very palatable and with all kinds of signs and wonders that they parade along the platform in the midst of all of that they're preaching another Jesus another gospel and people are coming down and receiving another spirit another spirit And I know this ticks some people off every time. And I've just got to tell you, I don't know what to do with it because it's in that book. But they come down and they receive another spirit that makes them waller on the ground like demon-possessed people. People in the Bible that were filled with the spirit didn't waller on the ground foaming at the mouth. And if that ticks you off, I'm just telling you, 
You show me, tell me what that's talking about there. Another spirit. And I'm just telling you, in these last days, buddy, it's subtle, man. And you've got to watch it. And, and I want to very quickly hasten to add this. Don't ever come to the place to where you come in this room and just take for granted the fact that you're going to get truth here. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because there are many antichrists that are entered into the world. You know what? I, I think the way that Satan loves to do this thing is, is bring people into a place to where some guy's busting the word and they're growing like crazy. And after a period of time, the people say, well, you know, we checked it out for the last 10 years. I don't think we need to check it out anymore. Uh-oh. You better always check it out. You better always compare Scripture with Scripture. I don't care who's behind this desk. So listen, don't, don't think that I'm, I'm shooting at everybody else out there. I'm telling you, don't believe anybody, Jesus said. 1 John 4, 1, have a very negative outlook. Don't believe any spirit until you tried it. They're guilty until proven innocent when it comes to teaching that book. We are living in the last days. And all this stuff that we read about this morning from Revelation chapter 13, man, I'm telling you, stage is set, all the people are in the right places, all it needs is for the curtain to be drawn, that's going to be the rapture, and when that curtain goes up, buddy... It's all going to unfold, just like, it, just like it says here. And if God is speaking to your heart this morning about your need to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm begging you, please don't put this thing off. The, the Bible says that, that no man comes unless the Father draws him. For some reason, God brought you to this service today. For some reason, for some of you folks, as we've gone through this today, God has just, you know, and I can relate to this because as a 16-year-old kid, I found my way into a church, and some guy was running his mouth up front. But I'm just telling you, while that dude was running his mouth, and I could hear him in my ears, the God of the universe was saying something inside to me. And, buddy, he, he had my full attention. And some of you know what I'm talking about because that's what God's been doing in your heart today. And if God is drawing you, Oh, please have ears to hear. Because if you don't have the ears, we've read about your destiny this morning. And Lord, I do pray that you would take the things we, we've seen from your word this morning, pray that you take them to the, to the ears and even more than importantly than the ears to the hearts of people that are in this room that have never trusted you as their personal Savior. And for you folks that have never come into that relationship with God, you've got just uh, about another 60 seconds or so to be contemplating what you'll do today with Christ. And I want you to know that at the conclusion of our service, our pastors will be up on either side of the front of this room. 
and would love the opportunity of being able to talk to you about how to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're a, a female and you, you come to talk to these men, they'll, they'll get a woman that can talk to you. You don't have to, man, please don't let any human thing keep you today from responding to what God is trying to do in your life today. Now, Lord, I pray that you would do your work. You said it would be through the foolishness of preaching that you would save folks. And, and we've done that. And yet the drawing, the reproving of sin and of righteousness and of judgment is, is your job. And so now, Lord, work in the hearts of these folks. Give them the courage that they need today to, to respond and to, to come and, and talk to, to someone about receiving you as their Savior. And as we have prayed over and over and over through this study of Revelation every week as we see how these things are going to unfold, we pray that you'd help us not to become dull of hearing those of us that do know you. And may these things, may these things do something in our hearts to, to change our perspective and where we're looking. Help us to see this world the way that you see it and, and respond to the open doors that you open to us. We may walk through them with boldness to be able to share you with, with other people before it's too late. We ask these things. In Jesus' name, amen.